0: I happened to be fired just before the, you know, fake Russia collusion narrative started. And I was pushed out of the campaign by a guy who's now in a penitentiary and will probably be there for the rest of his life. Paul Manafort, he's a bad guy.
1: I'm Anita Kumar, and this is part three of Beyond the Bubbles' special series about the Republican Party. And that's Corey Lewandowski. He served as President Donald Trump's first campaign manager in the 2016 election, but was fired when a new campaign chairman came in. Remarkably,
0: Corey remains loyal to Trump. You know who actually probably technically fired me was Michael Cohen, who's also going to jail. So, look, uh, I guess the guys who were bad guys that I saw who yeah. are going to spend the rest no. of their lives in 8 by 10 cells and we're here, I think I'm doing okay in the whole thing.
1: Corey and another long serving Trump advisor, Dave Bossi, just released their second book, Trump's Enemies How the Deep State is Undermining the Presidency.
2: I have no problem with this president demanding excellence from his staff. When he asks you a question some time, Corey and I know this, most likely he already knows the answer. He's (laughs) he's just trying to figure out what you're doing and what your agenda is.
1: They allege there are, quote, embedded enemies in this administration, a large but unknown number of officials inside the White House, Congress and the intelligence agencies working to derail Trump's agenda and his presidency. They describe some staffers as part of the so-called November 9th Club, officials who waited until the day after the election to support Trump because they suddenly wanted powerful government jobs.
0: It's the group of people who didn't support him when he was a candidate, didn't vote for him when he was on the ballot, but found a way to weasel their way into the administration and then use their own agenda to subvert the will of the American people.
1: The book comes after a midterm election that saw Democrats regain control of the House, and as Trump contemplates even more staff changes, including his second chief of staff, John Kelly.
0: When we're trying to represent the United States, you need a cabinet and an administration that once the decision is made, and there should be discussions, and there should be confrontations, and there should be back and forth about what the final policy is, but once that decision is made, Everybody's on the team. The president says we're doing it. 100% of the people on that team that, need to go forward. I-
1: Here in our studio, Corey's voice sounded like he's been on a book tour. He and Dave joined me to talk about whether the next two years will be full of the same self-imposed disarray as the last two, the reasons for the record turnover in the Trump White House, and why even fired staffers remain close to Trump. This is the Republicans' way forward, according to two of Trump's advisors.
0: Here with reaction the host of michelle malkin investigates you know michelle did they not learn anything from this campaign after they were laughing at the idea of a president trump colluding with hillary and then losing they seem to have learned nothing
1: yeah they have seemed to learn nothing sean these are the soiled pants media I, they are still suffering from post-election indigestion you heard how people describe donald trump all the adjectives but I people talking about how he's erratic and brash all those adjectives that you hear and i just kind of wonder what you think when you hear that do you think they're right well
2: let me let me start we have both been around the president more hours than your average person we worked with him for and we traveled with him all across the united states he's a new york guy you have to understand People, I think the American people uh, do understand and they voted for him because he is a tell it like it is individual. He says what he means and he means what he says. Washington's not used to that. They're used to politicians who come to this town and kind of acquiesce or morph into a politician. This president has not. He was elected as a change agent. He looks at the geniuses who have been involved in in in, the, in running our economy into the ground. He's looked at foreign policy, and he has tried to change it up. So, so Brash
1: so, might not be wrong then.
2: No, what, what, it's not that – see – In my opinion, it's a positive. It is not negative. It is this president doing exactly what he said he would do during the campaign on trade deals. Another perfect example. Just because we've been going down the same path for the last 30 years— And everybody's been happy. Well, everybody's happy except for the American taxpayer. And that's what he has said. I am the president of the United States, not president of the world. And we are going to make sure that the American taxpayer who has been put upon by the world are now going to have fairer deals. He is reestablishing how things are going to work.
1: So does it drive you crazy when you hear people
2: say? Of course. I think you could tell by my answer
1: (laughs) that, that we
2: get a little frustrated for him because he is out there doing the things that he promised to do. The reason, part of the reason he got elected, not just because it was Crooked H, ran a bad campaign, Crooked H forgot where Michigan and Pennsylvania were, but because he had a message to the American people that was aspirational, if
1: you will. So how would you describe him as a boss?
0: Um, Boy, difficult, demanding. Uh, someone who deserves perfection and the reason he deserves it is because he gives you perfection every day. Right. he, is but a if he person, doesn't get it? Well, look, he's a person who candidly not only outworked his opponent in the general election, but his 17 opponents in the primary, and he outworked his staff. He and killed so, us. <laughs> look, when, when I ran the campaign, I said to the team, I'll never ask you to do something I'm not willing to do to my, for myself. Donald Trump doesn't ask people to do things he's not willing to do himself. He's the first guy up in the morning. He's the last guy to go to bed. He's working 18, 19, 20 hours a day, every day. And he's 72 years old. He expects perfection. He demands it, but candidly, he deserves it. And in, in one of the
2: anecdotes that we talked about in our first book, the campaign book, uh, Let Trump Be Trump, was we talked about us eating fast food, right? We talked about uh, us on the campaign plane. Basically, there were three food groups, McDonald's, pizza, and Kentucky fried chicken. That was basically the meals of the day. Well, we were always on the move. This guy is the hardest working president. One of the reasons you don't hear about his age, you don't hear about his stamina, because the media, when they go on uh, you know, they go on these trips. I think you have a understanding of what the media has to go through to keep up with him. Yeah. That's what he does every single day. Good evening, I'm Jeff Glore. We are going to begin here tonight with the Secretary of State who serves at the pleasure of the president. The president was not pleased with Rex Tillerson, so removed him today and chose CIA Director Mike Pompeo.
1: Why does he fire so many
0: people? Look, in our book, Trump's Enemies, we sit down and we do an interview with the president. We say, hey, sir, you know, what was it like? And he was very candid. He said, I was a New York guy. I had never spent the night in Washington, D.C. So I came to Washington, D.C. as a true outsider, and I listened to the geniuses, the people who had basically run Washington for 30 years, and I took their advice on who to hire. And he listened to Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell and a bunch of other Washington, D.C. people, and they said, hire Johnny, Billy, Bobby, Mary, Karen, Tony. Those weren't his people. And so he ended up, bringing people to Washington who had their own agenda. And we call them the November 9th Club. We saw this in the Bob Woodward book where he outlines that Gary Cohn and Rob Porter were literally taking documents off the Resolute desk because they didn't like the fact that the president was going to sign a trade deal with South Korea. That's insane to me. And those people are gone. And the changes now... That he's been making Bringing in Getting rid of H.R. McMaster And bringing in someone Like John Bolton Who knew the president When he was just A private citizen Bringing in Larry Kudlow And getting rid of Gary Cohn Again, someone who knew The president as a private citizen Those are all positive Bringing in Bill Shine To oversee a communications team And to build that team In the mold that the president wants And none of those three people I just mentioned Are looking for a career When they walk out of the White House They're not concerned About getting a radio Show or going to a network, they're there for one purpose and one purpose only, which is to serve this president. That's what he lacked the first two years. So
1: all the people that have been fired so far were the Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell people.
0: Not all of them, but look Rex so look, Tillerson. Rex Tillerson. We have such mm-hmm. an upgrade with Mike Pompeo as well, the Secretary who, 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 of State. Somebody
1: recommended Rex Tillerson? Some
0: moron recommended Rex, okay. obviously, okay? Trump had no relationship with Rex Tillerson. He saw them. He was recommended. He was the CEO of a big company. And Rex had never worked for another person. He reported to a board of directors. It's a very different scenario. But look where we are now with Mike Pompeo, a Secretary of State who's on the president's team, who advances the president's agenda. One of the things that I don't think the American people
2: really get a full understanding of uh, is that this president loves a lot of different opinions from a lot of different people. It's part of the reason you hear and you see him talking to his old Friends or people that he's done business with throughout his life, asking them their opinions on the economy. He he makes phone calls. You guys yeah. write about it all the time. He's on the phone. Why? Right. Because he is a sponge. This president has his own vision. He has an agenda and he he knows what direction he wants to go. But he takes in information in lots of different ways. By the way, whether you agreed or disagreed with Barack Obama, he worked hard. In his opinion, for all Americans, this president is doing the exact same. This president, however, doesn't get any benefit of the doubt. The anger and hate out there is real,
1: and he has to deal with it. You were the campaign manager, the first campaign manager, right? I was. You, you were fired. Sure. How did that happen? What was that like?
0: Well, look, um, my relationship with then-candidate Trump, President-elect Trump, and President Trump has never wavered uh, because this president knew That I was loyal to him and that I put aside everything in my life for two years my family, my friends. I moved to New York and I gave up everything to try and help him be successful. And I think he's always recognized that. Now, there were a lot of people who said Corey uh, can't run a campaign in the general election. Corey's in over his head. We need to bring in a contemporary of yours, Mr. Trump. I'm going to bring in Paul Manafort, who was a contemporary in age and argued. He was a contemporary when it came to finances, but really, it was all a Ponzi scheme. So look, my relationship with the president has never changed. It's always been very good. I have a privilege, which so few people have, which is talking to him. Why
1: are you loyal if if you got fired? How are you still loyal? Look, it's the
0: best thing that's ever happened to me. I went and I spent time with my family, which was severely lacking. My children now, three years later, are only twelve, nine, and 7. So I was gone for what was really half of their lives at the time. They didn't recognize it. And and look, you're all consumed when you're running a campaign. It's a 20 hour a day job and there are always arrows coming at you. But when I get fired from the campaign, my belief that he was the best person to be the president didn't change. I believe he's the best person for our country at this time to make the changes necessary so that future generations will have the same opportunities that I had. Look, I grew up poor in a town called Lowell, Massachusetts. And as we sit here today, I can call the president of the United States, the leader of the free world, a friend of mine. Only in this country can you do that. Only through hard work and a lot of luck can that happen. And I am so grateful for what he's done for me and my family and the magnanimous way he's always treated me and the gracious and generosity that he showed to me and my family.
1: So you mentioned Michael Cohen. You saw the news that he lied. Shocking. And and has this new plea deal.
2: This is an ABC News special report. Now reporting, George Stephanopoulos.
1: Good morning. coming back on the air right now
2: because President Trump's former lawyer, fixer, Michael Cohen, has pled guilty to making a false statement to Congress about a Trump Tower project in Moscow that he worked on during- So what did you think when you heard about his latest uh, am i surprised that he
0: lied or am i surprised he got caught in a lie i, right. I, I, not I mean you
1: trusted him, him. him at one point
0: no i never did no i never trust look never? Michael, look let's be clear michael cohen everybody knew in the trump tower where michael worked on the 26th floor and and to be clear i never worked on the 26th floor that's where the trump organization was the campaign was on a different office from day one they said to me don't talk to Michael Cohen, he records every phone conversation. Don't go in his office, he records all the meetings that he takes place. Look, this was a guy who was very self-important, who wanted to be bigger than he was, and he had a big role at the Trump Organization. He was a person I never trusted, and what we have now seen about these plea deals, not only did he uh, lie to the IRS, lied to banking institutions to, to get money, uh, now he's admitted lying to Congress, Look, everything that this guy has said over the last two or three years have been lies. Well,
1: so did you all, when you heard all these things and you didn't trust him, did anyone tell Donald Trump that? No, no,
2: you got to understand. Michael Cohen had nothing to do with the campaign. Zero. But Donald Trump,
1: businessman Donald Trump trusted But Donald
2: Trump businessman was extracted from Donald Trump, uh, you know, Trump org during the presidential campaign, the guy traveled l- every single day. He was not in the office for a year, year and a half, the last year, year and a half. So it is um, uh, certainly did Donald Trump hear those things uh, from guys like us? Absolutely. But um for the last several years, Donald Trump hasn't been close to Michael Cohen last several years. And so, look, what Michael Cohen has pled guilty to, what Michael Cohen has done, has nothing to do with Donald Trump. Those, those are if tax evasion, being caught in those schemes about a taxi company in New York City predating the Trump campaign, having nothing to do with Russia collusion, Russian influence of the campaign. Michael Cohen... No one in the campaign, when Michael Cohen came to the campaign headquarters, people went the other way.
0: And we call him a rat in the book. It's very clear in Trump's enemies. He's a rat. He's a guy who's been out for himself. You know, This is the tough guy. He says, I'll take a bullet for Donald Trump. And then 15 seconds later, he's like, I'm going to do something different and lie my way into jail for a long time. And look, Michael's going to go to jail for a long, long time.
1: We talked about people that get fired at the campaign in the white house but lots of people are just leaving it is a record number at a certain level like assistant to the president up i believe it's a record number of departures whether that's fired or people like nikki haley who's just happens to be leaving sean spicer who who was not fired just happened to leave lots of people
0: it's an exceptionally difficult place to work
2: it is is. however however yeah i want to put one thing in perspective and then we'll go back to this The reason that part of the departures is visible and stark is because crying Chuck Schumer in the United States Senate for the last two years has held up nomination after nomination after nomination. I think there's 300 plus, like 360 people. So you don't see new blood coming into a lot of these jobs. You just see. The departures, if you will. So I, I, I understand what you're saying, and I, I,
0: I, I'm I happy to talk about that. But there's two sides to this conversation. You have to remember, when Donald Trump came to Washington, D.C., and you look at the senior staff he brought with him, whether it's Jared Kushner, uh, Key Schiller, Dan Scavino, Hope Hicks, Kellyanne Conway, Steve Bannon, none of them had ever served one day working for the government. And that transition from the private sector to government service is a stark one. Look, I didn't vote for Barack Obama. But he bought he brought the Chicago Mafia with him, and he admitted it. Rahm Emanuel and Valerie Jarrett and and you know and David Axelrod, the Mafia came with him, and all they did was they just transplanted from one end of Pennsylvania Avenue. So Donald Trump
1: brought to the all his people too.
0: The difference was all these guys had already worked in the government before. Look, Rahm Emanuel was not exactly new to the government right. when he became the chief of staff. Reince Priebus, that I know of, had never worked a day in the government. Right. So the learning curve of a brand new administration, coupled with a man who has amazing demands on staff on top of the fact that you've got a bunch of senior people who didn't know how the government ran and you established a three headed monster in the government structure with Reince Priebus, Jared Kusher and Steve Bannon and everybody and nobody was the boss at the same time was ripe for change and we saw the first people getting punched out of the building you know within 30 or 45 days because it just wasn't working and Look, the stories of the chaos in the White House, I believe, are way overblown. I've been in the building. Dave's been in the building. When we interviewed the president for our book, Trump's Enemies, he said, do you guys see chaos? And I said, sir, and it's in the book. It's the exact opposite. The place is like a morgue, right? Everybody's hiding in their respective offices. There's no phones ringing. And I think the frustration that the president has had is that He doesn't get access to the people who want to talk to him. And he he addresses this from the Bob Woodward book. He said, you know what? Bob tried to call me seven, eight, or nine times, and he never got the message. And that's a disservice from someone on the staff to make the decision that Donald Trump, President of the United States, will not sit with Bob Woodward. Now, maybe— it was the right decision. But ultimately, that's the president's decision. Well, one of the people that made
1: that decision was Kellyanne Conway, well, who's still and, there. And
0: look, Donald Trump says Sarah Huckabee Sanders also knew about it. Hope Hicks also knew about it. And nobody gave him those messages. And that is a disservice to the president. Let him decide which interviews he should or should not be doing.
1: OK, so let me ask you a few things from the book you said that there are quote embedded enemies of president trump in the administration
2: we have somebody in what i call the failing new york times that's talking about he's part of the resistance Within the Trump administration. This person this works with administration administration A duckless editorial. The poll numbers are through the roof. Our poll numbers are great. And guess what? Nobody is going to come close to beating me in 2020. Why
1: are there still enemies in the administration two years in? Well, it's a great question,
2: Anita. Uh, we wish we knew the answer. Uh, we do know that there are enemies within the administration. Do we you? don't necessarily know their names. The anonymous author, right? right. I mean, yeah. right? We all know that. That letter was created by someone inside the administration. Um, It's easier to figure out maybe who it's not because of how the New York Times described it, right, which was we, the New York Times, had to authenticate the person, meaning it's not a known person inside the administration to them. But that's an example because that letter, the way it was written, is kind of a we mentality, right? right? I am one person of a group. And their arrogance and their self-importance, they think they're there to save the country from the president. When, in fact, we've seen people who didn't agree with Barack Obama. They had worked for Hillary Clinton. We saw people with Bill Clinton, George Bush, Ronald Reagan, uh, uh, James Baker. We talk about that a lot. uh, Was a campaign manager for an opposing candidate to President Ronald Reagan became his chief of staff. But the, when he did, he put aside his own personal agenda. He put aside his former candidate's agenda and he became President Reagan's chief of staff. What we have here is, in my opinion, a, an unhealthy situation where people have embedded themselves into the Trump administration who don't support it and are slow walking, ignoring the Trump policies and because they feel somehow empowered to do what they think is best as opposed to the person who was elected, which
0: is how our democracy is supposed to work.
1: How many enemies are there?
0: Well, there's, there's different categories of enemies. There's, we, in this book, Trump's Enemies, we discuss the enemies in Congress, which are both the Republicans and the Democrats who subverted the president's agenda. And he talks about this in the interview we did. He said, I'm disappointed the Republicans didn't fight harder for the money for the wall. It's in, and, this, and this interview was taken, This interview took place in September. The enemies in the media, and he says 85% of the media is an enemy because it's a false news story. Now, this president very clearly is open to the bad stories about him, as long as they're accurate. And he says, he said, look, I'll take a bad story, but it's gotta be accurate. The intelligence community, the Comeys, the Clappers, the Brennans, the McCabes, the Strocks, those people who use their badges, to go after american citizens because they disagree with them politically those are enemies we outline
1: how many enemies are in the administration
0: look i, I think Hundreds? It's, it's impossible to Thousands? say but let me give you an example just recently this president was flying on an airplane to celebrate the 100 year anniversary of the end of world war I. and if you remember uh, he took a phone call with theresa may from uh, the uk and within hours that phone call was leaked And I don't understand when you've got two world leaders who should be talking on a secure telephone line, how that conversation is leaked. And my problem is if that's part of the national security team or where that came from, that should be gravely concerning because never do I remember, and, and I don't think you do either, private conversations of presence with other world leaders being leaked. That should scare every American that somebody is listening to those conversations and then giving it to the press to hurt our leadership, and potentially our relationships around the world. We've seen this many times. Those people are not only enemies of the president, they're enemies of our country.
1: So how does he react to them? He is worried about it, or
0: he's frustrated about it, or he's- Well, I think he's disappointed at at, at one level, and I would be concerned if I were him about the fact that you're trying to have a private, secure conversation with another world leader, and that conversation is being exposed to the media. And we've seen this since the beginning of his administration.
2: Literally, during his transition, we saw these conversations with world leaders leaked. It's a disservice to America. Take Donald Trump out of the equation. If his name was just Bill Smith, it's dangerous to the next administration too, yeah. right? Before Donald Trump and after Donald Trump, these are not small things.
0: Look, I, I don't know all the specifics, but I, I will make this bold prediction. You will see additional changes in the administration. Um, and and it is a natural progression following right, look, <laughs> following following a midterm election, going into a re-election of a president, okay? You will see senior members of his administration leave, some by choice some uh, not by choice. You will see cabinet officials who will probably also be living, and this would be very much on par with what uh, the Obama administration did, the Bush administration did, sometime around March or April of next year. They'll say, look, if you wanna stay in the cabinet, you have to make a commitment to stay through the election, and if you want to leave, we want to give you a specific date to leave by so that we can fill those positions. And that is what has historically been done. Why
1: March or April? Why not now?
0: Well, no, no. What I'm saying is there's usually uh, an edict from on high that if a cabinet member, let's say, it doesn't matter who it is, uh, 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 Linda McMahon, and she's great, I don't think she's leaving, but if she wanted to say, hey, I'm thinking about leaving, I don't want to stay for the reelect, they would say, please make that decision by a certain date so that we can vet people and go through the Senate confirmation process, which is very typical. By
1: January, though, you expect other people to have...
0: 100%.
1: I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. Well,
0: it's coming. It's 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 coming, and you have to remember, this president has a very full agenda, and I think my experience with this president is don't create a problem without a solution. And so when the president has asked either one of us what are the problems in my government? Who do you think I should fire? And he's asked us many times. You can't just say fire everybody. That's not a reasonable solution. And so if you wanna make recommendations to replace individuals who either aren't doing a good job or on uh, someone else's agenda, you have to provide a solution first. So saying, hey, get rid of HR McMaster. That's a great answer except you don't have a solution. Getting rid of uh, Rex Tillerson, that's a great answer until you present the solution. And yeah, once you have that just solution?
1: Sessions without a solution. No, we
0: have a solution and look. Who's uh, the solution? Well, look, the president is is going to give serious consideration to multiple people who could be the next attorney general. Let me give you a couple names because I think they're very good. I think uh, John Radcliffe, the Congressman from Texas would be a phenomenal choice. Someone who has extensive experience in the Justice Department. Is he
1: considering him?
0: Look, I I can only tell you what I think. Look, uh, I think Pam Bondi, the outgoing attorney general from the state of Florida, is someone who could fit that bill. I think Chris Christie, the former U.S. attorney and governor of New Jersey, could fit that. This is, in my opinion, one of the one or two most important positions for the president to fill in his cabinet. And that should be a person that he can pick up the phone and have candid conversations. Barack Obama had his wingman. Right, Eric Holder was very clear. I am Barack Obama's wingman. He said it. So I think this president has the right to have someone that he trusts and respects and knows the rule of law to be the next attorney general.
1: Is John Kelly an enemy?
0: Um, look, I think John is an American patriot for the service that he's provided to his country. I also think that we have a very different management style. And John, I believe, is a man who thinks that it is his job to limit people's access to the president, including ours, where I disagree with that. I think the more voices, the better. The other part is John Kelly is the first chief of staff to a first-term president who is both apolitical and has no long-term understanding of how the media works. And when you are a president seeking your re-election effort— Uh, you traditionally surround yourself with a political chief of staff or a strong political operation. I think of Barack Obama, Rahm Emanuel, a political animal who came from Congress, knew how to win elections, and had one sole focus was to make sure Barack Obama received a second term. Uh, George W. Bush had Karl Rove not as his chief of staff, but as the political person there. It's a different way to be the chief of staff, and we'll see how long he stays there.
2: Let me add this. I, I believe whatever the changes are, whatever the changes are that the president's going to make, you know, over the next month or two, I suspect that's the window. What I'd like to see come out of this uh, is that we have a team that is forward-facing and seamless in its operations, leaning forward and looking squarely at the 2020 reelect as its goal. You need to come out of the other end of this with the group of people that you're dedicated to, to and that are dedicated to your re-election in 2020.
1: So will a lot of the White House people go to the campaign?
2: You know, I think that some of them will. Be, you know, it, it, not everybody should go to the campaign. Not everybody can go to the campaign. You need a solid team inside the White House that can seamlessly work with the campaign. Uh, there's certain people need to go to the campaign. Uh, certain people should stay where they are certain Uh, people uh, should leave (laughs) you need to have a communicate you need to have communication so somebody inside the White House it just can't be an outside operation telling and directing the White House staff what to do that will never work it has never worked
1: so when we see the 2020 campaign and obviously there's already a campaign but it's very small right now do you anticipate it will be like last time where people will come and go there will be firings and and departures, just like the White House, just like the first campaign. Is that just the way it is with Donald Trump?
0: Look, I think this president is a very results-driven individual, and he puts people in positions to achieve those results. And if they don't, there is accountability. That is the business mindset. That is no different than every other private sector company uh, on the planet. The difference in it, it, the difference is in the government. There's usually not that level of accountability. Usually, there's, you get a job, you're a government employee, and you get to stay there for 10, 20, 30, or 40 years, regardless of what value you bring. And so, this president demands results. Uh, he demands action. And as long as you are performing and you are achieving the results that are expected, you get to stay. Look, as long as you're performing, the president is happy.
1: Are you guys going to the campaign officially?
0: We like unofficial. Well, and I, well, you, you did know, official
1: it, one time. And, uh, and I
0: work for the Vice President's Political Action Committee, to be fair. Uh-huh. Um, but Dave and I, I think, have an opportunity to serve the president on the outside, being strong advocates for him on television, on the radio, through op-eds. And the confines of government service may not suit my likabilities as much as I would think.
1: If there's one thing to take from all of our conversations over the last three days, it's that the future of the Republican Party, at least for the next few years, is all about Trump. His decision to run for president quickly shaped the modern GOP in ways no one expected. And now, as Republicans assess their future following the midterm elections, they're looking to the second half of the Trump presidency, how he campaigns for re-election, how he deals with the new Congress, how he runs the White House.
2: For the sake of our freedom,
0: We are going to work, we are going to fight, and we are going to keep on winning.
1: But in many ways, these next two years in the White House will be like the last two, because Trump will continue to be Trump.
0: And together,
2: we will make America wealthy again. We will
0: make America strong again. And we will make America great again.
1: Thanks for listening to The Republican's Way Forward. Thanks to Matt Schlapp, Scott Jennings, Corey Lewandowski, and Dave Bossi for joining me. And thanks to Davin Coburn for producing this special series of Beyond the Bubble. Leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Anita Kumar, and you can reach me anytime at akumar at mcclatchydc.com. That's A-K-U-M-A-R at mcclatchydc.com. We'll talk to you soon.